The Spin-Off Podcast Network. When the Facts Change is brought to you by the Spin-Off Podcast Network in partnership with Kiwi Bank. The bank for Kiwi looking to get ahead in business and in life. A bank that delivers expertise and banking know-how, smart advice for business owners wanting to invest, grow their business or diversify. A bank that adapts with technology through the lens of its people and customers. It is a bank with heart that is driven by its purpose. Kiwi making Kiwi better off. There was a moment earlier this year when the world, our financial world, our economy, the valuation of assets seemed to shift on its axis. That was back in March of this year when a digital artist that no one had heard of called Mike Winkleman, he called himself Beeple, decided to put together 5,000 pieces of his digital art into an NFT, a non-fungible token. He did it with a very smart guy from Christie's, the auction house that's been selling art for hundreds of years, actual physical pieces of art to rich people in auction rooms. You've seen all those scenes on the movies and in the televisions where the rich people get together and put their hands up to to buy the, the artwork from the great masters. Well, Christie's thought, let's try out this NFT thing. Beeple, Mike Winkleman, put together these 5,000 prints, digital prints, and for those who've looked into Beeple's art, it's 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 out there. It's uh, some of it's not very safe for work, so you wouldn't call it classic art. It went up on the auction. Everyone watched just to see what was happening. Everyone thought it was an experiment. It probably wouldn't go very far. Suddenly, in that online auction, the prices started rising: five, ten, fifteen thousand, a hundred thousand, a million. And by the end of that auction in March of this year, Beeple. A man who had been doing this really as a hobby for his mates that he distributed through Twitter suddenly saw the number. 69 million US dollars for this NFT of 5,000 pieces of his art. 69 million dollars. He'd been going from selling this prince for 100 bucks to a few people online to suddenly one piece of art 69 million US dollars. And remember, that's 100 million New Zealand dollars for a piece of art from someone who's still alive and is producing it on their computer at home. That is extraordinary. Now, when you see something like that, you think, oh, the world's just gone completely nuts and it's about to blow up and this can't last. It's like watching digital tulips sprout up and look fantastic, but you know those petals are going to flake off and it's going to start rotting in a really bad, bad way very soon. A whole bunch of people saw that and thought, oh, maybe I better get in and get my share of this before it all goes bang. Maybe there's something in this. This week on When the Facts Change, we look at what's happening in the art market that is a direct connection to what's happening in financial markets and the monetary system globally. Over the last... 13 years, central banks have printed 23 trillion US dollars. Just over in the last 18 months during the COVID crisis, they've printed 13 trillion dollars. This was money that was invented out of nowhere to buy government bonds and other assets from people who were already wealthy, who suddenly had a lot of cash on their hands. That money is now squirting out the sides and being put into stores of value, pieces of art on the wall or pieces of digital art 
in a computer or, more likely, in a digital wallet. That blew up in March this year with Beeple. But it started to spread to New Zealand. And we tell the story in this week's When the Facts Change of an electrician who worked at Sky City, Richard Parry, who was creating amazing pieces of digital art as a hobby, something he did for fun, sold bits and pieces here and there, who decided, hang on a minute, let's see if I can start selling these NFTs on an established market, expecting to, you know, maybe make a few hundred dollars here and there. Before he knew it, he was selling these NFTs, digital art, for tens of thousands of dollars in Ethereum. And suddenly he realised that this is either something's going to blow up and go away real fast, so best to get, <laughs> get in now, but also he had to ask himself some questions, as you'll find out in the interviews. Should he hold on to these currencies that are used to buy that digital art? Will the currencies themselves uh, escalate in value? As indeed, that's exactly what has happened since March, and now we have cryptocurrencies at record highs. But now, of course, it's gone from the digital world back into the real world. Just in the last week, there's been some extraordinary things happening in New Zealand's art market. Over the weekend, a well-known sculpture by Michael Patakolfi called A Peak in Darien sold for $2.05 million as part of an overall auction of a local art collecting couple, the Burr-Tatham Collection. They've just passed away in the last few years. And this collection of art sold for over $20 million. We'll hear later on in When the Facts Change from Hamish Coney, who used to run Art and Object, the main auction house for um, high art in New Zealand. And he explains for us how epic this auction was, how it's changed the underpinnings of value for art in New Zealand, how collections all over the country are now going to have to be revalued upwards. He, like the rest of us, is stunned at how the value of this art is changing. He tries to understand why it is people are able to spend so much money. And remember, this is not money that has been borrowed from a bank to buy a house. Uh, you could argue that much of the rise in house prices is caused by banks lending money to buyers. In this case, people are not borrowing money to buy this art. They've just got it sitting in their bank accounts. Now, that may have come to them, in part because their banks or their pension funds or they themselves sold their bonds to a central bank, which had just invented money, and now that money's squirting out the sides. But it is certainly hitting the real art market. It's creating huge megastars. People who, you know, in, in days gone by, didn't become wealthy until they were dead, or at least their, their art families did. But now, Michael Parakofi's A Darian, which is this amazing bull perched on a piano, sold for $2.05 million. That's the highest ever reached for an auction for a New Zealand piece of art, more than all of the Goldies and the Colin McCann's. Extraordinary change in our art market. Then I talked to Janine Granger, who is right at the centre of the cryptocurrency exchange world in New Zealand and knows what's happening in NFTs and how quickly many people are jumping into those markets. Some of it's speculative and opportunistic. Others are actually looking to build significant businesses. There's one just quietly being built in Auckland, which is selling NFTs of the animations from the Marvel characters and making millions and millions of dollars doing it, potentially a billion-dollar company. 
called vveve.me from Economy. And that's what this week's When the Facts Change is about, how the printing of $13 trillion is squirting out the sides and being pumped into stores of value, partly because those people who own that cash that was printed are now putting it into things that they want to own, but also, secondly, others are creating these pieces of art and hoping to get some of this easy printed money that is flowing down into bits and pieces of the economy. That's this week on When the Facts Change. I'm Bernard Hickey with a podcast on the Spinoff Podcast Network brought to you in partnership with KiwiBank. To find out what was going on in the physical art market, I needed to talk to someone who had run Art and Object, a main auction house for the last 20 years or so. He's out of it now, but he's been following the art market very closely. That's Hamish Coney, who is now an independent art consultant. Okiora, and welcome to When the Facts Change. Great to see you. And nice to see you too, Bernard. Now, the last time we met was actually in a studio looking at Simon Denny's, I think, amazing uh, piece, which was all about Peter Thiel and how the masters of the universe, if you like, these rock star uh, tech guru billionaires were in many ways changing our world. And for me, it was a quite a, a key moment seeing that piece of art and understanding how those tech billionaires and how the world was changing so quickly. It seems like an, an eon ago, but actually it's quite prescient. Could you firstly give us an idea of what's just happened in the art market in the last week or so in New Zealand and why it is so unusual? Well, this has been brewing for some time, but I guess to put it in, in simple context, in, in the last week, at auction anyway, um, basically a, a year's worth of a normal transactions uh, took place in one week. You know, roughly $25 million worth of art has sold at auction in the last seven days across three auctions, three auction houses. Uh, and that really is comparable to the sales of a normal year, not so long ago. That's amazing. And we also had a couple of records set with the Michael Parikofi sculpture, which yep. um, re really stunned everyone. Look, when I uh, I was involved in the the auction business for the best part of fifteen years, uh, and uh, one of the things that we talked about, let's say, a decade ago. Uh, was when would we get close or when would the million dollar mark be breached at, in New Zealand? Obviously, in context, we are seeing things selling internationally regularly for tens of millions, even hundreds of millions uh, of pounds or dollars. But for uh, us here in little old New Zealand, the million dollar mark seemed a very long way away at that time. Now, that mark was breached in 2016 uh, by a very significant Colin McCann painting which sold, I think, for about 1.6 million. But what we are seeing now is that million-dollar sales certainly uh, are now becoming... They're not the norm, and I imagine they will be the exception for some time. However, they are happening more regularly, and I think, crucially, they are happening for contemporary art. So what do you think's going on here? It's like this big uh, pivot point, a parabolic jump in the curve. What, what's going on? 
The phone's been running hot for the last 48 hours on this very question. And it is quite difficult to be able to separate, if you like, the normal workings of the art market from this COVID moment. But I'll give it a go. Uh, I think that, you know, what we've been seeing in the art market over the last 15 years, two decades, has been a normal year-on-year solid increase, uh, nothing too spectacular to see here, uh, you know, a committed group of New Zealand art collectors and followers uh, buying art and getting used to year-on-year paying a little bit more for it. And so that's not a particularly sexy or exciting story. And for both the collectors and for the auction houses and those people in the art market, that's pretty easy to understand, like a lot of other markets. But I think what we're starting to see in the art market is some of the asset price inflation that we've been getting used to talking about ad nauseum in, for example, the real estate market, where year-on-year increases massively above and beyond inflation um, are becoming the norm. And everybody is kind of scratching their heads and asking two questions, which is, is this a bubble? And where's all the money coming from? So what were you seeing in terms of the types of people, the numbers of people, the locations of people who were bidding for art in in this last week versus what you've seen for the previous 10, 20 years? Those with the means and the desire to collect New Zealand art at significant prices is a pretty small group of people. And I can tell you from personal experience that the overall distribution of physical catalogues um, to the collector base from the auction houses hasn't really, really increased much beyond about two and a half thousand for the best part of a decade. Uh, and if you, if you like, that's the inner sanctum of the art world in terms of collectors. But I think what's happening, one of the things that may well be driving this is, I guess, adaptations being made by the auction houses uh, driven by collectors in that in the last two years with all these COVID closures and all the rest of it, auction houses have been forced to do something that they probably did initially reluctantly because, uh, which is to pivot online onto bidding apps into electronic media. I mean, every auctioneer and every auction house's sweet spot is standing before a packed room of 250 people um, and seeing them in front of them compete for the offering of the day. Uh, It is a very unusual and different and new and I suspect very novel experience for the auction houses and the collectors for the auctioneer to stand up in front of pretty much an empty room and a camera and start effectively conducting the auction as a broadcast scenario out there to the universe. And so what that means in simple terms is rather than 200, 300 people coming in and uh, drinking up the auction houses wine, uh, they're sitting at home uh, drinking their own wine um, and watching the auction being live streamed either as observers or obviously as um, participators. And I guess people are in lockdown. They're looking for at the very least amusement. But I think Let's try and be positive about this, notwithstanding the fact that we are seeing quite phenomenal value increases. I would like to think that this is New Zealanders in the main seriously thinking about the culture and wanting to have a piece of it. And many of them have the means to do just that. Because in the past, pre-lockdown, a lot of culture was essentially a, a thing you went out 
to experience. You went to the the opera house, you went to the theatre, you you um, went to the gallery, whereas now a lot of people are staring at a blank wall <laughs> sitting on their couch for a long time and having the culture in your house um, is more important. Look, I think that's a, a big part of it. If you, you know, if you, as I have spent pretty much all my adult life in the art world, the networking, the collegial relationships, the going to an opening, chewing the fat, meeting the artists, talking to the gallerists, seeing one particular work in the context of an overall show so you can understand, is this typical, is it atypical? You know, all those sorts of nuanced things that you have uh, when you go to an art gallery um, are now becoming, for the, for the short term, uh, things that, by and large, we don't do. Uh, I think the the galleries, and this is not just the auction houses, the galleries in in overall terms in the last year have done a phenomenal job of pivoting their entire offering online. Uh, And I think technology is is driving this accessibility, but of course the technology in and of itself uh, doesn't have money attached to it. It's the collectors at the other end who are saying, uh, and this is where everybody's scratching their heads a little bit, you know, the thing that I that I understood 12 months ago I would have to pay $20,000 for, bugger it, I'm prepared to pay 75 or 32 or 86 or whatever the figure might be. Uh, I think the in the transactional sense, I think that the nature of auction gives buyers some comfort that they're not alone, that they are if the ultimate winner, you know, of a race. And it's like a horse race, you know, the Melbourne Cup, one horse wins by a nose, but they're competing with five other horses. And I think that people in an auction context take great comfort from that, that they are actually part of a collective competing and the winner carries the day by the final bid, which might be $1,000, might be $500. So um, how do you think this might change, if you like, the culture of the art market where you have these megastars getting millions of dollars for their best pieces of work, but a big long tail of people in the art market who, who, who may not be making that sort of money. It sounds a lot like other parts of the world where the megastars, the Peter Thiels of the world, um, make their millions and their billions and then there's a lot of other people. I think one of the vexatious questions of the art market in general terms is this issue of wealth distribution. And, you know, what we're seeing in the art market is symptomatic of that. The art market doesn't cause that to happen. It's not a driver of it. If you like, it's a recipient of it. So, of course, when we see these really notable prices, you know, there's a lot of questions being asked. Who's got a million and a half dollars to buy that? And who's got $500,000 to buy that? You know, those are questions that get asked, particularly when we all understand in the context of auction, it's not just that one person going crazy. They are competing against a whole other lot of other people, another two, another three, another 10 people who are interested in that work. You know, it brings some tension into the marketplace and anxiety for the artists, uh, for the gallerists, because everybody's got a tiger by the tail here. And of course, there are winners in financial terms and losers. And there is a sense that if a million dollars is paid for that item over there, or $50,000 for that item over there, there's a whole lot of other people who may miss out. Um, whose work is more modestly priced 
or who doesn't, who in this particular moment isn't catching the eye of the wider collector base that somehow or other, you know, massive big chunks of money are going to get hoovered up. That means that, you know, there is really going to be a division between, you know, the haves and the have-nots. A lot of people are now looking at art as a store of value because you can, you know, put a lot of money, if you like, into a relatively small thing that doesn't need to be painted or needs needs weeding every year. Every year. So um, do, do you think that this offers a new use or a new vehicle for the art market, almost as a, a place to store value, a, a financial um, asset, if you like? Well, I think this particular conversation has got a couple of aspects to it. Uh, firstly, that that idea in New Zealand is relatively new. Uh, the idea that art is an asset class. And people get a little bit iffy and get a little bit touchy about talking about art in monetary terms because, of course, most people, and I would put myself in this camp, uh, want to be able to talk about art and first and foremost about what it's doing, what it's about, what it's, what's the kopapa of that art, uh, you know, what issues does it address, does it do that successfully, all of the things that we look to cultural production for, whether it's art, whether it's books, whether it's music. Um, uh, so the, the whole question of it becoming an asset class in its own right is one that is relatively new for New Zealanders to discuss. But internationally, it has been uh, an asset class in its own right for many, many decades. And, and one of the things that I see when I look internationally, if you look at your Credit Suisse and your UBS Warburg and your Deutsche Bank and all of these major international private wealth managers, they have art departments advising their clients on an art portfolio in addition to whatever other portfolio it is. Now, most of us listening to this will go, well, shit, oh, excuse my French, Chance would, be a, chance would be a fine thing uh, that we could have an asset portfolio. Uh, wouldn't that be nice? Uh, but in a lot of jurisdictions, a lot of countries, that's exactly what's happening. And I think that's what's starting to happen in New Zealand. It's new territory for everybody. And things are moving so quickly that uh, in some cases you're having to revalue entire collections. And that's, that's one of the things that you do now. Having been involved as, uh, as, a, as a manager of an art auction house, now you're looking at collections. Tell us what you're expecting to have to do after this, you know, these, these amazing auctions of the last week or two. Well, um, I mean, as recently as a couple of months ago, I concluded uh, valuing one of the major public gallery collections in New Zealand. Uh, I signed off on that two months ago. And as a consequence of this auction, I'm already going some of the figures based on historic sales evidence that I had been placing on really major works. And I'm talking about major works by our major artists, Rita Angus, Charles Goldie, Colin McCann, Tony Thomason, Gordon Walters, etc., etc., are already looking like they are out of date. Uh, so uh, I am anticipating I may well get a call from my client to say, oh, we might need to have a, a look at this or in a year's time we may need to revisit it. Yes, the market is moving fast. Uh, yesterday's reality is, you know, in terms of value is kind of today's chip paper. And um, how long this is going to last is anybody's guess. Do you have a sense that it, it could be a bubble or uh, unlike in other markets where people are able to borrow against an asset, that's not something you're seeing here? Yeah, look, I think that one of the definitions of a bubble 
is that people start doing silly things in terms of accessing the cash to enter into the marketplace. And so, you know, we're hearing stories all the time uh, about banks getting very worried that people are borrowing money to buy Bitcoin, for example. Um, so they are leveraging their own personal asset base to punt away in one of the more volatile uh, markets you could possibly think of. I think one of the things that I don't hear in New Zealand is that people are borrowing money to buy art. If that was something that started to become more prevalent, then that would be, would be one of the signs of a bubble developing. I don't think it is a... Uh, we do have a bubble. I think what we have at the moment is we have a whole lot of money in many cases that may have gone elsewhere as a consequence of COVID that is staying on shore. I think we have a whole cohort of people who, as we've discussed, are looking around their houses and instead of spending a few hours a day at home and off out there in the world working, they're now spending 15 hours a day minimum or more at home and they're starting to think about how can they make their environment interesting to them. They're also, I think, very much understanding that purchasing art um, can well be an investment. Just finally, um, harking back to that uh, exhibition from Simon Denny, um, how do you see the world today and how prescient might Simon's piece have been, which highlighted this world of the, uh, the tech giants, the megastars, how, how, how do you think of that exhibition now? Well, I think that Simon Denny is one of a very small group of artists who are what I would call, they're sort of warrior artists at the sharp end of what are some of the really, really big mega issues of our time. And, uh, and when I say the mega issues, I mean the mega issues that sit outside the art world mostly conversations about art relate to aesthetics. Um, and, you know, and sometimes those conversations can be academic or esoteric or hard to enter into if you don't have specialist knowledge. So I think Simon Denny stepping into a space and pointing to and naming names is an incredibly courageous thing to do. Because I think on the other side of the ledger, one of the things that we are hearing all the time to our great discomfort is this sense that democracy is under siege. Um, you know, and I'm sort of slightly getting outside, uh, way above my pay grade here, but, you know, we in New Zealand look agog. Uh, well, we didn't until recently, until we started seeing these anti-vax demonstrations. We looked agog at um, America and other countries where, where falsehoods or skewings of the truth or arguments of, of, over what constitute facts were being smashed around the place like a pinball machine. Now, we're getting a bit of an experience of that right now in New Zealand, and it's pretty scary. There's very few artists who are prepared to take that on, uh, and Simon Denny is, is, is one of a handful. Uh, and, you know, we call him an artist, but I think he's doing many, many things that many artists don't do. He's almost like a, a journalist artist, a re frontline reporter artist. Uh, thank you very much, Nami. Thank you, Bernard. After the break, I speak to Janine Granger to find out how money is flowing into cryptocurrencies and NFTs in New Zealand. She's the CEO of Easy Crypto and has been following where the money has flown. When the Facts Change is brought to you in partnership with KiwiBank to help you understand the issues affecting the economy. 
And that's what their team of experts is here to do too. Here's Kiwi Bank economist Sabrina Delgado on what's happening with the labour market in Aotearoa. Our slowing economy gives way to higher unemployment, and we're seeing tightness in the labour market quickly abating. Both a recovery on the supply side, with our surging migration, boosting labour supply and loosening some very tight labour market conditions. But now a stronger narrative is coming through. As consumer demand cools, so too is the demand for labour. Firms are no longer hiring with the same gusto. Already, unemployment has started to lift from record lows, and we expect that to continue throughout 2024. Visit kiwibank.co.nz to stay up to date with detailed economic analysis and forecasts from Sabrina and other KiwiBank experts. They take big issues from both here and overseas and make them relevant to Kiwi businesses. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Welcome to Janine Granger, who is the CEO of Easy Crypto, and he's been on When the Facts Change before. Janine, could you tell us what you're seeing in your world? You're sort of at the centre of the crypto universe in terms of exchanges and money money flows and who's doing what where. I love it when someone who's a startup person also is a bit of a journalist, which is great. Um, could you tell us what you're seeing in terms of people using uh, NFT, investing in NFTs, you know, exchanging to get into NFTs? What are you seeing in New Zealand? Uh, we've seen a lot of interest in NFTs. Like this has been bubbling away for a little while and we've probably seen, you know, quite a few articles in the media over the last few months and a lot of questions of what exactly is it? You know, people are only just getting their heads around Bitcoin and cryptocurrency and then the sector comes up with this whole new thing to to learn about. Um, but the space is really picking up steam. I think yesterday um, there was an article out that said that the, you know, Google search terms for NFT overtook other common terms like Doge, uh, DeFi, even Ethereum is now eclipsed by NFT as a search. So it's really something that's out there in the in the consciousness a bit more. And we're seeing a lot from our customers, people, you know, buying cryptocurrency through Easy Crypto to then go on and purchase NFTs or asking us if we're going to be listing NFTs on Easy Crypto. Uh, we've seen a few um, really neat um, collaborations between charities and NFTs, and I think it's really great for you know charities to be out innovating in the space to get a bit of, um, you know, position themselves and, and get a bit of attention and do something different. So, yeah, there's heaps picking up there. And in New Zealand in particular, there seems to be a lot of innovation with a, quite a few homegrown NFT producers, marketplaces um, and other initiatives. Yeah, why, why do you think it's sort of taken off now? Because in theory, you know, the art that's around isn't that different. It doesn't make you feel that much better or, you know, it doesn't sparkle extra, but it's suddenly <laughs> worth a lot more. What's going on? I think there's a couple of reasons driving this. One is around the fact that, you know, like with all of these sorts of things, value is in the eye of the purchaser. And that's always, you know, it's a supply and demand question. So the supply for NFTs is no different than it was, you know, a couple of months ago, but the demand is picking up as people are becoming more and more interested. So you have those sort of early adopters going in there and go, oh, maybe if I get in on this space early enough, if I, you know, shovel up a few NFTs, hodl onto a few bits and pieces, I might be able to, you know, have my own crypto punk and make millions in the future from this. 
those might be misguided aspirations, but, you know, when NFTs are cheap, why not give it a nudge? Um, I think more broadly, though, and a lot is driving a lot of the um, interest and adoption in this space is around the the real world use cases of these. And sorry, I say real world, but I guess it's the virtual world use cases of these and the, the crossovers between NFTs and other sectors such as gaming. So gaming is is huge and particularly among the younger audiences. You know, you talk to any sort of under 12 year old and they'll be probably spending a large chunk of their time immersed in online you know, effectively virtual reality. And in these virtual realities, in these games, you can bring your NFTs into them. They're a way to create a bit of point of difference. You know, you've always, people have always paid extra for different skins, different um, weapons, different things that make you cool in your virtual reality. And so with the the move towards the metaverse, which is another um, great term out of the crypto and blockchain sphere, that everyone's probably going to start getting their heads around a bit more. Uh, you probably saw the news that Facebook have changed their name to Meta to embrace this concept of the metaverse. So this is all coalescing into a bit of an inflection point for NFTs. And in New Zealand, could you give us a sense of maybe the numbers involved of people who are exchanging for um, cryptocurrencies to buy NFTs or maybe who are involved in creating NFTs and selling it through exchanges? Is there any sense of, you know, the scale? I don't have any numbers off the top of my head for that, but I can say that there's definitely quite a few um, Kiwi homegrown NFT um, creators. We're seeing people sort of make really good money out of NFTs. Again, you know, it's a bit speculative. You don't know what's going to be picked up in the market and what's not, but there's definitely quite a few success stories down here in New Zealand. And there's also quite a few NFT marketplaces springing up, things like um, Glorious that you've probably seen come out with Dan Carter behind it, Vivi, which is another homegrown success story that has, um, you know, re- uh, branded NFTs and sort of the rights to things like Marvel and Adventure Time and other series like that. Um, and we're also another initiative that came out recently called Litho is a, a way for people to, you know, just get started with NFTs, learn how to make one, mint your own NFTs and try to get someone to buy them off you. So lots of innovation. I think that's just the nature of New Zealand, right? We love to innovate and we're pretty digitally savvy. Yeah. Just stepping back a bit um, to the, the monetary theory, if you like. Uh, I've been watching central banks for 30 years and over the last 18 months, they've printed effectively about 10 trillion US dollars created out of nothing and they have used that money created out of nothing to buy actual bonds from banks and wealthy individuals and pension funds and they've given them cash so to speak. Now it's digital cash which sits there in electronic form in the banking system and then over time some of that started to filter out into Those people who have that cash, which was recently printed, they've handed over a bond to the US Federal Reserve or the Reserve Bank of New Zealand, and they've got some cash. And some of them are using it to buy assets. And I suspect some of them are thinking, "Mm, I've got this cash. I'm not particularly comfortable (laughs) with the central banks doing all of this inventing money out of nothing. Maybe I should move some of it, diversify some of it, and put it into another store of value because you've got stores of values in bank accounts and we know how many trillions of dollars are just sitting there in cash not doing anything and then there's a bunch of people looking at other ways to conveniently and at large scale and at large pace to store value in various things. Now we're seeing it in artwork, you know, vintage cars, all sorts of things, NFTs and of course cryptos, near, mm-hmm. cryptocurrencies, various types at near record highs. 
What are you hearing in the com- crypto community around stores of value and this, you know, concern debate around what central banks are doing? This is something that we've been hearing from our customers for actually quite some time because this, you know, the money printing, as you refer to, this has started sort of at the beginning of this current, um, I guess, COVID era financial let's not call it a crisis yet, but, you know, it's a it's a period of financial uncertainty. And the, there's been a lot of debate in the crypto communities around what does this money printing mean and will this drive investment or drive attraction of crypto assets because they are not inflationary. And some cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin are actually deflationary. There's only going to be 21 million Bitcoin. And if you do the math and divide 21 million over how many billion people are there on the planet now, eight or so, you know, it's, it's very small fractions of Bitcoin that could be held by individuals if this were, you know, divided up evenly. And so there's this view of, hey, investing money into something that is a not an inflationary asset like the US dollar or the New Zealand dollar could provide a, a good hedge against inflation and a way to diversify a portfolio. So this is something that I've been hearing from our customers here in New Zealand for a while, and particularly from the older customers who I think... You know, financial literacy in New Zealand is poor at best. And in, in my generation and the younger generations, there's not necessarily a good understanding of interest and inflation and what these things mean and the impact on the money in your bank account. Whereas with our older customers, I think there's better literacy on that. And I do have a lot of people coming and saying, hey, my money is sitting in the bank account earning nothing. And in fact, it's probably going down in value because of inflation. So I'm looking for a way to diversify. And they see cryptocurrency as, a, as an option for part of a diversified portfolio. This week we saw a, a really, sorry, in the last week we saw a really interesting move in the crypto markets where they shot up about, or Bitcoin shot up around 4% in response to the US government's announcement of the consumer price index. Uh, the consumer price index for the year to, to October was 6.2%, which is about double what was predicted. For me, sitting on the outside, and, and Bruno, I'd love to hear your views on this as well, it was very surprising to me that people were surprised by consumer price index increasing so much. I mean, you've had all of this rampant money printing going on in, in large economies like the US, but you've also got these massive issues with international logistics and shipping. All prices are going up, and you know we see it in our day-to-day lives in New Zealand. Prices are increasing on the supermarket shelves. All products aren't available. So the consumer price index having this massive spike led to a large increase in the price of Bitcoin, presumably the market's sort of rationally looking at that and going, hmm, where can I move money to that is not going to be impacted by inflation? And we've heard from central banks, the US Federal Reserve in particular, but the European Central Bank as well, that they're going to start dialing down this money printing. They haven't gone as far as to say, oh, we're going to actually, you know, take the money back, if you like. We're going to sell you back the bonds that we bought off you in the last 10 years. They haven't said that. But what would happen if they did do that, just out of curiosity? Well, I have a degree in economics. I should know this. Yeah, but. yeah. No, it's, it's a great question. Well, um, in theory, people would have to sell their cryptocurrencies to, <laughs> to buy these bonds. And what would, the main point is that it would essentially push up interest rates. And that's, mm. um, that's the sort of uh, um, the dirty little secret here is that once you've done the money printing, you can actually reverse the process, but it would be explosive and that you'd push interest rates up to brutal levels. And asset prices, because there's often an inverse relationship between um, asset prices and interest rates, asset prices would fall. And so this is the the big bet, really, is that everyone's saying, well, central banks had our back. They were always going to print to protect us. And now they're not printing. In fact, even worse than that, they're, they're sucking money out of the market. 
um, uh, I should run for the hills. But of course, we <laughs> haven't got to that moment. And that, that's, that's why I think this is an interesting moment in history. We're right at the edge of where central banks are going to stop printing money, they say. And, and we're at that point where a lot of people who've looked to put their assets into other types of assets, be it art or crypto or real estate or diamonds or old Ferraris or whatever it is, then they ask the question, okay, is this, is this about to stop? But, uh, I'm, I mean, in terms of volumes going through your platforms and uh, obviously with cr- cryptocurrencies at or near their, their record highs, um, I don't get a sense of any sort of great um, withdrawal or um, change in sentiment. No, not at all. I mean, we yesterday just looking at our stats, um, sort of our last 24 hours rolling period was just made it into our top 10 days of all time. So, you know, we had some really big days in the market back in um, February, March, April, May this year when there was a lot of um, a lot of things driven by Elon Musk tweeting about Doge, to be fair, but a whole lot of other activity in the market with, again, record highs being hit. We're seeing similar types of activity now, new record highs coming through. Um, But also, you know, as is always the way in cryptocurrency, a lot of volatility in the market, which always drives for us, um, you know, volatility drives business. People are interested in getting in on price movement, on, you know, buying the dips. And this is actually something that I've seen in our in our customer base, this seems to be more of a maturing. Like when we first started, you could see that people would seem to buy when the market was high and sell when the market was low. And now we're sort of seeing the reverse of that, that. There is more, there seems to be better market timing among investors. So maybe investors are just getting a bit savvier and um, or realise this is what the markets do and see an opportunity when, when we have a price drop come through. Fantastic. Janine Granger, the CEO of Easy Crypto, thank you very much for coming on to uh, When the Facts Change to tell us how these particular facts are changing. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Great to talk. Kakite. Janine Granger there talking about what's happening in the NFT and crypto markets in New Zealand. And in the process of making this podcast, Jonathan Pierce, who is the producer of the podcast, mentioned to me in passing that he had a flatmate who'd turned from being an electrician into a digital artist making tens of thousands of dollars selling NFTs. So we thought, let's have a chat to Richard Perry, who is a really successful NFT digital artist in New Zealand. Here's Richard. Richard, uh, before I started this process today, I had no idea that you existed or who you were, but luckily Jonathan uh, knew about your um, explorations in the NFT world. Tell us your story about how you came to be uh, making digital art and selling them as NFTs for real cryptocurrencies and money. I've been doing this for about four years, I think, and, and until this year, I'd just been sort of selling prints on like third-party marketplaces and making a couple of bucks per print. I think around, oh, I guess it was March this year. I, I, I generally can't remember quite where it came from. I think someone may have DM'd me and said, hey, look, you should look into these NFT things because uh, there's a lot of money to be made. And in fact, I think... A couple of years ago, even, someone was like, you should sell these as NFTs. And I was like, that seems like a bad idea. I'd rather make a couple of bucks on these instead of zero money. And then, uh, I don't know if you know Beeple, uh, I think I saw a couple of those go. And I was like, well, I'm better than that guy. His stuff looks terrible. So I'll give it a go. And um, I think I got in 
right on the week that everyone else was trying to get in as well. So there's um, a lot of excitement and uh, action there. And I see on foundation.app a lot of your work there, um, not only uh, what it looks like, but also how much it's sold for. And um, those numbers are making me look, <laughs> look quite excited. Tell me about <laughs> those moments when you had the, the live auction and suddenly you found yourself in uh, possession of some uh, cryptocurrencies, which are now quite valuable. I'm sure Jono can maybe attest to some of this because I remember talking about it a lot, being like, man, I've just got to get into one of these sites, just got to get into one of these sites. And quite luckily, um, a friend of mine, an artist in uh, Australia called Tom, uh, Tom Blatchford, he knew a guy who worked at Foundation and he said, oh, look, I can hook you up. And I, uh, I eventually got an invite for my stuff. It was actually really hard to get my hands on because you need a bit of crypto to, to mint these things, to put them on the blockchain. It costs about 100, 200 bucks to, to mint one. And I thought at the time that was an exceptional amount of money. And I was like, wow, this is, this is going to send me bankrupt. I hope this works. But I managed to get my hands on some and minted these things. And for about five days, I didn't get any bids on anything. And I was like, oh, Oh, well, nothing ventured, nothing gained. And then randomly on uh, just midweek, I got, a, I got a bid on one and then all of a sudden I had a bid on all of them. And, you know, uh, 24 hours later, I'd made about, I think, $30,000. Wow! In, in crypto. <laughs> what, what was the first thing that you sold? Uh, it, was like a, it was like an animation of a sort of a, a Game Boy that was like floating with all bits and like clockwork pieces inside of it. Is that Old Tech Crystal? Yes. And there's another one called Old Tech Sky Blue. Yeah. That looks like that really hit a chord with the market. Tell us about that one. Yeah. <laughs> Again, I, I don't know why one of them sold for a lot more than the others. I, I, after the initial success, I took a, like a couple of days off work and I was like, I've just got to put something out here. I've got to make some more of this real fast because I feel like this market is going to die very, very fast. And... Um, uh, I took a bit of time off. Uh, I think I was working nights, and I was I was working at Sky City at the time, and I was making these things while I was while I was supposed to be working. <laughs> and um, same thing again. I put them up, and then didn't get any bids for a couple of days. And I thought, oh, okay, I just got well, I just got lucky once, and that's fine, no worries. And then I got a I got a bid on that, and on the night that they were going, it, it all just went crazy. I think we were all sitting around at the table. I think um, we had a friend over. I was upstairs watching these numbers go up and I thought, man, I've just got to come downstairs and sort of have a chat as this thing, you know, again, I can't remember quite how much they went for. It was quite a lot. I can see here that Old Tech Sky Blue eventually sold for 6.0501 Ethereum, which was back in March. And since then, these currencies have have gone nuts. So I'm guessing that um, as an artist... You're getting up on every morning, not just thinking about what you're going to make, but also what the current exchange rate is between Ethereum and the New Zealand dollar. Well, yeah, it's 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 kind of hard. It's difficult because you can, you know, something might have sold for something last week, but now the the currency's changed so dramatically. You'll have to go back in and change the reserve price because now it's worth double what it used to be. You know, what what might have been a fair price last week is not fair anymore. So you actually have to sort of change the prices as as it either drops or it goes up, and you know to either entice people in or, you know, still get paid. Do you do you have to make a call on, you know, it's time to put this back into something real? You know, I can head off to the supermarket and buy a bunch of stuff <laughs> with the actual money yeah. that I've actually got. I think um, initially I sold half of it back into New Zealand dollars. I thought, you know, that's fair. I'll sell half of it. If I'd have held on to it, I would have made a lot more. But, you know, it could have also dropped overnight and I could have walked away with nothing. So I sold half of it and kept kept the other half. 
Yeah, it almost forces artists to think about uh, the value of money and art as a type of currency, a store of value, a means of exchange. You could argue that's the way it's always been when people were in periods of chaos in wars and the likes, the first thing they went for was the art collections and the diamonds, you know, the diamonds and the and the gold. It was yeah. the things that were beyond fiat currencies, which um, in, in our world where most people still believe the New Zealand dollar is worth something, um, it seems extraordinary. But in, in this world which is open and completely global, um, if people don't trust their currencies or they think there's been too much printed, they start to put it into things as stores of value, things they think are, are, are valuable. So, you know, you've been soaking in it for, for months now, this market, how it operates. Um, what's your sense of, you know, where it's headed? Is it all going to coagulate into one or two big markets that everyone has access to? Is it all? Is everyone looking at each other, waiting for everything to go bang, bang, or is it, <laughs> or is it a, you know, there are people starting to form into communities, and you know, um, there are reviewers, and there are people who are acknowledged in their community as, you know, the best artists around. What? How do you think this is all going to shake out? How do I think it's all going to shake out? I mean, people are definitely making communities around these things. The, the ones where you where, where there's like 10,000 of these slightly different JPEGs and you buy one and you get in the club. I think some of the bigger ones, like the um, Ape Yacht Club, which is just 10,000 pictures of these monkeys that are like 2D in their cartoon. Some of them are worth like three to seven million dollars now. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think you, if you buy one, as soon as you buy one and you tweet about it, you instantly get everyone in that club follows you. And it's a great way to essentially buy 10,000 followers, I suppose. You know, people are very defensive over the thing that they've invested in um, and they think that other stuff is really crap. You know, I, I think they're definitely sort of like a clan mentality, I think, uh, emerging around those ones. And so what do you think about it now? You, This was your first surprise sale that um, was, was worthy of <laughs> yelling it from the rooftops. But where are you now in terms of doing this work and making money and wondering whether it is a long-term, you know, viable career or, or a market <laughs> that will last? It's pretty hard to say, isn't it? I think, I mean, as you, you can tell, the, the, the prices of what they're going for now is, has dropped quite a bit from those first couple of weeks. They go for instead of five Ether, now they're going for like 0.5, which is still an astronomical amount of money for the amount of work that's going in. Um, but it, it seems like I probably got in sort of around the perfect time. But, I mean, it, it, the, the, the amount of money that I'm still making on them is more than I was making as an electrician. So, <laughs> <laughs> Richard, thank you very much. I really appreciate your, your time and, and your story. And um, I, I, wish, I wish you all, all the best. Thank you very much. I'd like to thank Hamish Coney, Janine Granger and Richard Parry for helping to understand these amazing things happening in the world of money and art. It's amazing on these podcasts. You go into all the funniest places and discover things. It's so much fun. I hope you enjoy it too. And make sure that you hit subscribe. That's this week on When the Facts Change, a podcast brought to you on the Spinoff Podcast Network in partnership with Kiwi Bank. When the Facts Change was brought to you by the Spin-Off Podcast Network, together with KiwiBank. Visit kiwibank.co.nz 
to find out how Kiwi Bank are making Kiwi better off. Kia ora e te iwi, te Ahe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spin-Off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.